2: Listening to 100 Words or Less with Ray Harkins. Yo, thanks for coming on to this podcast and putting it in your ear holes because there's a lot of other things you could be doing, but you are spending your time with me and the guest this week, who is a huge guest. And his name is Walter Schreifels. He plays in a band called Quicksand. He also played in Rival Schools, Gorilla Biscuits, Moondog, World's Fastest Car, Walking Concert. I could go on and on because I actually didn't tell him this, and I probably should have, but I have a total crush on Walter. <laughs> I just think he's an incredible human being, and uh, his music I have uh, I've worshipped for quite some time. So this was, this was a big deal for me. And uh, I went through all the official channels, went through Epitaph because uh, they actually – They, as in Quicksand, has a new record uh, that just recently came out called "Distant Populations," and it's a really good record. I um, no shots against Interiors, which is a record that got put out. uh, I don't know a couple years ago. Um, Interiors was okay; it it didn't really speak to me in ways that uh, Quicksand has spoken to me in the past. But this record uh, is—I'm not going to say it's a return to form, a la Manic Compression or Slip, because those are classics. But this record is really good. If for whatever reason. Interiors didn't grab you. This one, uh, I definitely think will. So, but anyways, Walter was just a a champ, <laughs> and he he was having a little technical problems at the very beginning, but uh, we were able to sort through that. And it was funny because you'll hear the interview at the very end, kind of sort of abruptly. Uh, end because he realized that he was uh, talking over time and he needed to jump to another interview. But uh, Walter was extremely gracious. So I, oh man, I'm so excited to bring this chat. But first of all, Let's talk about her nine year anniversary. That was the show that we did last week. and if you didn't listen to last week, go ahead and dive back one step closer. Actually, Walter and I, if I'm not mistaken, talk about that band in particular. but uh, I just I appreciate all of the well wishes from all of you kind people on social media and emailing me and stuff that's just you know, it's special to me because you know, I've been doing this for nine years, if not longer. and uh, I view this as a audio zine for all of you trying to place these people in context, hearing it straight from the horse's mouth, so to speak. So it's special for me to document that. And uh, you can always email the show, 100wordspodcast at gmail.com. I respond to all emails, sometimes quick, sometimes not so quick, but <laughs> I do my best. And um, yeah, I just, I, let's, let's dive into this conversation. Walter, legend. Just absolutely legendary. And he tells some uh, pretty interesting stories. Stuff that, uh, you know, if you have paid attention to him as close as I personally have, I haven't heard some of these stories before. So it was uh, was great to be able to do that. So here's Walter, and uh, I'll talk to you at the end of the episode. I want to say it's around ninety-three. Here you are on tour with uh, the Offspring and No Use for a Name, uh-huh. and thirteen-year-old uh, me is uh, witnessing you playing in front of me at the UCI Brent Event Center in Irvine, California. Oh, and, wow. oh yeah, and I, I, I had no clue who you were because I was thirteen and like clearly just waking up to music in general. And uh, but I remember my uh, friend and I really enjoyed you. We clearly were there for the Offspring and nobody else. Um and I I I just enjoyed what you did, but I couldn't articulate like why I enjoyed it. I was like, well, it's like sort of aggressive, but like not, but at the same time, like there was enough hooks there for a 13-year-old brain to wrap their head around. Um, I'm sure at that time when you guys were playing these, you know, uh huge shows and participating in these tours that, you know, whatever, three to four years prior, you never felt like you would even be able to achieve. Um, was that a thing that you felt that just the, the amount of eyeballs paying attention to you and being like, okay, clearly these people don't know who we are. And we're obviously here to convince them to pay attention to us. Um, Did you feel, I guess that, I don't know if I call it a weight, but that responsibility of being like, all right guys, like we could be a bridge band for you. Like understanding more about what, you know, hardcore punk, whatever one you want to call it is.
3: Yeah. I think that there, there was, um, I mean, for us, we were playing in front of the, the offspring. We're like such a, a, a hot band. So our, our label was very psyched to have us playing in front of more people because, uh, you know, I think that our music is definitely, um, yeah, it's got hooks and it's catchy, uh, but it was not by any stretch, like low self-esteem or, uh, you know, on that on that level in terms of like, uh, you know what offspring we're doing, so it was it was cool to play in front of people like yourself that were like, you know, just discovering music and were open minded. I really had a, I think the 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 kids on that tour that we played to that was really fun. Everyone was open minded, and I think our energy was really, you know, we connected. You know, even though we were not pop punk really by any stretch, and I, I do remember, I do remember the show in particular you're talking about because a lot of the shows we're playing were sort of big rooms for sure. Like, you know, maybe in the, in the kind of like 15 to 2000 sort of, uh, you know, like range. So they were, they were bigger rooms, but the, uh, the Irvine thing was more of a, of a, of an arena size. And I remember playing, uh, we played a few like sort of like hockey arena level places on that tour Uh, I guess that was probably a basketball arena and just be tripping on how, like, you know, you can't, um, the things happen slower. Like, so you'd hit a chord and you'd kind of get a sense of the sound traveling to the back. So if you're like making these fast, jagged movements, it doesn't really translate. So just kind of tripping on like when the space gets that big, um, how, uh, you kind of got to play it differently. And these sort of like are, are sort of like more club oriented uh, style needed to like, kind of get a, a little work to kind of, to kind of function in those bigger spaces. So I, I was having a lot of fun with that and playing to people who didn't really know who we were for the most time, most part or people that like kind of like held their nose and, and paid for the ticket, to see us, you know, uh, even though they weren't into the offspring. So it was, it was a lot of fun. Right. No, that's very, I I like how you articulated
2: the idea of how you need to alter your performance based on the size of the stage. Cause I do think that, I mean, you experienced that going from playing on the floor to playing on a stage and how that feels like such a huge leap. And then understanding those ideas of, yeah, me falling down, you know, on my knees playing guitar is not a good vibe in front of 10,000 people. You know, it's like, they don't even see me. Like, what am I doing here?
3: Yeah, I mean, those little <laughs> gestures that, you know, in a club, like, really speak or, communi- you know, communicate, um, you know, th- that intensity. I mean, you know, the stages are bigger, the gestures have to be bigger, and, um, you know, and just the sound is moving differently. So, you know, I mean, it's still... I haven't really even had enough experience to really get it down, but I, you know, I, I know how to, by this time I've played enough big shows to, to get it a little bit. But um, that was the first tour where, you know, we played like, yeah, arenas, not like not Madison Square Garden, but rooms where you'd like hit a chord or you'd say something and the reaction would be delayed, you know, because of, of the space that, that was kind of trippy. And uh, also just the time of, of like, the context of what was going on in music at that time, like there was a lot of interesting stuff. I don't think the record labels really understood exactly which way to go, you know, so that, that, that led to a lot of interesting bands going, you know, getting a shot, you know what I mean? And, and we were one of them, you know, bands that wouldn't be like obvious choices for like, you know, uh, million sellers got to do cool shit and 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 got some attention and I, I felt like we kind of you know benefited from all that you know uh yeah there's and, a lot
2: of there definitely a lot of the of what you're talking about just the throwing spaghetti against a wall and seeing what sticks like that's what labels were doing at the time because no one had any context for the notion that these bands that came from these independent communities could resonate with a larger audience and they were just like oh we didn't see this coming so let's try this let's uh let's <laughs> try Let's they try.
3: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it could have been, it could have been Helmet, you know, it could have been Quicksand. It could have been, you know, like once Nirvana happened, you know, then they're like, all right, well let's try Sonic Youth, you know, like, and, and the cool thing was that the bands were, they were doing interesting stuff. You know what I mean? Like there was, there was like, you know, Girls Against Boys were, you know, making major label records. It was just like, uh, I think it was due to the fact that they just hadn't really, sorted out the successful formula that they could, you know, I think that kind of came later into the decade, um, you know, where, where, you know, like pop punk became a thing. And, and uh, I think they were, they had it dialed in maybe more with new metal in a way where they kind of understood what you would need. But I think in that first wave of like post Nirvana stuff, there was all kinds of just weird, interesting Bands coming from independent labels, getting to make, you know, records with bigger budgets with like, you know, uh, better, you know, facilities, etc. And um, so I think it's almost kind of you could do a review of like all the all, what did all these bands do with that opportunity and like, how, how, where did it lead? You know, a lot of them just like never really recovered, you know, from it. A lot of them just like made the major label record, got dropped and that was that was over. You know what I mean? some of them just kept going and and did more interesting shit, you know? So, um, I think, I think we were like, I I feel fortunate to kind of get swept up in that because it was a lot of fun. And so a lot of like yourself, like, you know, you saw quicksand, I I don't know what you would have seen, uh, you know, if you weren't there. Yeah, for sure. If you hadn't gone there. So like quicksand is like, okay, obviously like we're really awesome and we, we are, you know, who would need another band after us. But if you wanted to look like quicksand is connected to so many other different things. And I think us doing that tour, and we also did a tour with um, white zombie and anthrax. And and I felt we were kind of on both those, these bills and with offspring, I, I don't, I don't think we really like fit the bill exactly, but as a result, like those tours, because we were playing in front of a lot of people, we definitely, you know, kind of, put people the the people that it connected with really put them on a different path. And, um, that's awesome. That's how, you know, that's how I was when I was going to my first big gigs, you know, I was interested in the opening bands, you know, to see what, what, what was there. I wanted to know more. And that was like one of your best opportunities to, to kind of find out about something that wasn't just going to, you know, fall into your lap necessarily from like, whatever, you know, radio or, or, or MTV. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's a, it's a
2: great, it's a great gateway. Th- this is kind of a random question, but were you a, uh, like a theater kid at all? You know, were you were you doing, uh, you know, performing in your school plays and stuff like that as you were growing up?
3: I was not, but, okay. um, I did get offered. I did get offered the, uh, in one school play, but I just didn't do it because I, I just didn't want to spend that much time after school. But, sure. Um, and, <laughs> sure. uh, no, I never made it, but I, you know, I'm sure it would have been a lot of fun, but you ha- you literally had to, you know, stay after school. And I was just like, Nope. Yeah. <laughs> right. You're like, wait, I got to commit to something like that. No, not interested. Oh, yeah. No, I'm trying to get out of school, not trying to stay in school. So <laughs> right. yeah, that was my vibe. Not the, you know, that was, I guess I was like, you know, that was just more the way I was at that time
2: yeah no for sure the only reason I ask that is because there definitely is the idea of the performative nature of oneself you know even if it is within the context of you know the punk and hardcore scene like there are kids that did that where it's like oh I know how to get up in front of people and you know wave my arms or whatever it's like so yeah
3: I never really had a problem with that I guess I just always felt pretty comfortable although when I look back at footage of myself then I'm like oh Jesus Christ dude you maybe need to bring it back but um it's uh it's there's something electric I just remember the first time I like got on the stage at CBGB's and played with uh, Gorilla Biscuits and just the feeling of like hearing these like loud amps and just being in this like really cool space and like having people like listening to the music that we had was just you know there was just like that was the biggest high for me ever so you know it's still still chasing that dragon right of course Um,
2: and I know most of your biographical information in regards to, you know, I know you were born and raised in Queens and everything like that. There's just a few details that, um, I was interested in filling in as far as like your family structure, you know, it was like mom and dad in the house and brothers and sisters. What did the uh, composition of that look like?
3: I have a younger brother, um, and, uh, my parents, uh, were divorced. So I lived with my mom for the most part and would spend summers with my dad. And, uh, my dad lived in Ohio, so I would get to visit Ohio and I actually lived there for a year, my sophomore year of high school, I lived in Toledo, Ohio. So I think I have a, a, an appreciation of the Midwest that I'm, you know, happy to have. Um, and, uh, my parents both went to Penn state university. And so when I was little, I lived in Penn state for, uh, for a number of years, probably like four or five years while my parents were in school. And um, so I love Pennsylvania too. So, you know, although I, for the most part, I grew up in Rockaway uh, Beach, which is kind of like on the edge of Queens. Um, you know, I, I had a, a sense of, of uh, not the bigger world necessarily but like, you know, other places.
2: Yeah, no, that's interesting because I I do think there is that component of even if you're just ducking into these places because you know your family member lives there or what have you, you start to see this the differences between where you live versus you know where other people live, and just those simple things that can ebb into your consciousness cannot be picked up unless you travel there.
3: Yeah, and I and I got them at a at a time where it was you know I was you know develop developmental stages you know so I I always love. I always feel like I, I get, I don't get out to the Midwest as much as I would like, but I get the Midwest and, you know, living out in, in you know, I, I get college towns and, and uh, you know, Pennsylvania has really beautiful mountains. So I grew up by the beach. So between my time living in Penn state and, and, and by the beach, it's just like, you know, even though I'm a city kid, I, I have like a, an appreciation for, you know, nature. And I think that that's a lot of kids in, you know, New York miss out on that. But I, I was lucky to, to have that in, in my growing up. Sure. And I'm going to guess
2: because you spent most of your time with your mother, did you grow closer to her? Or did you have a good relationship with both?
3: Uh, Yeah, I'm, I'm most mostly close with my mom. Although, you know, I, I love my dad, I just actually went out with my daughter and visited him out in Mexico. Um, So yeah, you know, but I wasn't living with him. So it's just like a different, different vibe. When I lived with him in, um, in, I lit, when I spent my sophomore year in high school in Toledo, Ohio with, and I was living with my dad that ruled, like we got along great, had a lot of fun. Um, and, uh, you know, that Midwest like high school experience was just so far out for me, like with football teams and, and all this kind of, you know, cheerleaders and that, just was not like that in New York at all. And uh, I had so much fun, uh, but I failed like so many classes. And so I to, ended up coming back to New York. <laughs> so uh, me and my dad like, you know, burned brightly, but only, only for that one year. But,
2: uh, <laughs> Right. Right. Well, that it's so interesting because I'm sure you had that experience, too, of here's Walter, this, you know, kid coming from New York City. So you for sure are, you know, the new meat, the, uh, you know, exotic person where it's like, wow, you're from the city. And
3: then, yeah. And then you're being like, wait, you guys go to football games every Friday? Like, what? Like What? This is weird. Oh, it was fantastic. It was funny, though, because my I came to Ohio with this like very thick Queens accent, which you don't hear anymore at all and um but it quickly like dissipated somehow it like sort of got flattened out but yes definitely when i first got there being from new york gave me a little some cachet so that was that was pretty cool um (laughs) right but uh but yeah i had a great time there i still have friends from toledo actually i was just in touch with someone and uh so that was that was just an awesome experience as like um you know later in life i i moved uh with my, wife, with my wife to Berlin in Germany and like living there was like, it's kind of similar, like having these different experiences of like how people live and like what, what the, um, you know, what's good, you know, and, and like sure. taking that in, um, you know, it's not for everybody. Um, you know, uh, but f- me, I, I love that. You know, I, I kind of sure. feel like, um, as I go through life wanting to sample a lot, a lot of different things from the plate, you know? Uh, and, and that's, I think that's one way to do that. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure.
2: Well, I mean, it's evident in your music as well. So (laughs) that that's your, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I also think like, were uh, what's the age difference between like you and your brother?
3: Uh, two and a half years. Oh, okay.
2: So relatively close. Like were, were you guys like, as you started to, you know, develop your own identities and go through, you know, junior high and high school, were you guys both kind of gravitating towards the same stuff or you, were you pretty, you know, intrinsically opposite?
3: Um, I think it's sort of, I mean, I don't know if you, it, me and my brother, I think we're very, very similar in so many ways, but we're just, you know, different sides of the coin, you know, like, um, but he, we, we definitely both loved music and, uh, had similar tastes. Uh, my brother was way more into hip hop than I was. He just dug deeper into it. Um, but as far as like punk and post-punk and anything, um, you know, even like kind of the yeah, post-punk, like new wave stuff, like we were and hardcore, ultimately my brother was like super into hardcore as well. Um, he has very, very sharp tastes and he, and he still does. Uh, I would, he's like a really he's got an awesome record collection where mine is like pretty whack at this point um in comparison um but yeah we had similar types of music um and uh yeah he's always he's always turned me on to stuff and uh you know we generally g- get along of course like we we're you know brothers sometimes we would get on each other's nerves but uh but we we all we always kind of generally got got along and you know, kind of found the same things interesting.
2: That's cool. And were your, you know, a, as you started to really get into, you know, the scene as it were, did, uh, <laughs> were your parents concerned of like, man, what is, what is Walter bringing home? Like, what are these X's on his hand? Like, this is really crazy. Or was your mom pretty, uh, I guess, permissive for that just because she saw it was something you cared about.
3: I think that they, by nature, She's not one to like get to to kind of get into that thing, like, or you're listening to devil music or anything, you know what I mean? Like, those kind of cliches. She was not like that. Um, and also, I was into like straight edge hardcore, so it was like if she did like scratch the surface at all, she understood that we were like all about not drinking, taking drugs, whatever. And so, that's kind of awesome. Like, if my daughter came and said, Hey, I'm really into straight edge, and I'd be like, cool, this is great. Like, you know, do, do, have fun, you know? Um, right. I think not, not that like, I think, you know, teenage drinking and all that kind of stuff is like part. And, and I did do that before I became straight edge. Um, like, but I think it's like what a parent gets worried about is like their kid, you know, making bad choices. And so, you know, that especially when you're not, when, when young kids are drinking, they just, you know, they they could have a lot of fun, but sometimes they just make bad decisions. So I think my mom was totally cool with it. I don't think that she would have busted my chops any way or other about it anyway. Um, You know, I, she wasn't as permissive as some other parents, you know, like I wasn't able to go to shows like on a school night, you know? So some of my friends, parents were like more chill. Like I had friends that like went to schools that didn't give you grades and that kind of shit. Like, so we weren't like that loose. Um, Right. (laughs) You know, uh, which New York, you have that kind of level, you know, uh, you know, maybe everywhere you do, but I, I, it wasn't like that in my house, but she was cool about it. My dad, uh, was living in Ohio. So I don't think he really, uh, got, you know, on a day to day was not really like there for that. But I think as far as like my interest in music and especially as it, you know, brought me out on tour and, um. And that kind of thing, you know, I I definitely felt like he, you know, you know, proud father vibe and, and he was, he was uh, always, you know, thinking that that was cool.
2: Yeah. Right. I mean, most of those parental feelings, and I'm sure you can obviously attest to this as well. It's like, you just want your kid to be okay. And sometimes when kids are getting into things that, parents don't have any context for that's when the fear you know the bells start to ring where it's like wait what do you mean you're doing this and it's like (laughs) but you know ultimately it comes from a place of of concern and care
3: yeah of course i mean you you just uh i think i was lucky to have found not only to like learn how to play guitar but to, to find this path not that i was like really like trying necessarily, not consciously anyway, that, that it really became my thing, you know? And I think that's very, I was very fortunate for that, you know, cause I think a lot of people struggle throughout their lives, trying to find their thing. And especially at young ages, you know, that, that if it doesn't like present yourself, present itself to you, if you're not like, um, really ambitious or single-minded about something, uh, or, or disciplined, whatever, that, that kind of path you can get, you know, lost and, and, you know, and that's not like, it's not like some after school special. It's just like, you want, you know, like it's, you know, it's, it's, it's tough out there, you know? So you want, you don't want to see your kid like, um, you know, lo- lose faith or whatever, you know, but for me, I, I was very lucky to, um, to have this kind of thing open up to me that I was just like, this is so cool. You know what I mean? Like we're playing this music that we're making up and we're traveling around the world, going to all these different places. I'm meeting all these interesting people. And like, it's like, like I'm not paying for it. It's not like I'm going to summer camp or something. Like, it's just like, this is running itself, you know? And, um, and it's all people like my age or a little bit older or a little bit younger, but it's all, kind of powered by people that are like similar to me, you know, and, and um, you know, and that, I didn't always feel that way, you know, like where I was around surrounded by people that, that were similar to me or that, you know, even really understood that. So that, that I was really, Felt lucky and excited to be doing the thing that I that I thought was cool.
2: Let's talk about band merch and the people who will bring you the finest quality of band merch around is rockabilia.com. That is the main place where you should go first and foremost for all of your band merch needs and use this code 100 words or less. That's the number 100 and they get you 10% off your order and they are such kind people continually sponsoring this podcast and bringing merch to you, the masses. It's all officially licensed. Ships out to you quick. They have, I'm going to say, I don't know, five, 600,000 items that you could possibly buy for your friends, your family, whatever it is you're looking for. They have it. They just did a really, really rad run of merch for the Minneapolis State Fair. They were there, but they were doing all of these, like, specific Minneapolis shows from Metallica and Prince. And I, it just was really cool. It, it got the creative juices flowing that it's like, man, merch companies, you know, they always do this exclusive stuff, but like for them to celebrate the home state that they are located in by doing these cool, uh, you know, non-bootleg <laughs> merch items, it was just really, really cool. So again, rockabilia.com, the only place you should go, the first place you should go and use this code 100 words or less really discovered guitar and music that was your identity. Was there any other notion of a quote unquote life path? Not like guitar is a life path. Cause you know, clearly, I mean, you've been able to make it happen, but like, that's not, you know, something that is quote unquote practical. Was there any other ideas of like, this is what Walter's going to do when he grows up, not even from your parents, but just like in your own head of like, this would be cool if I did this.
3: Yeah. I mean, I even kind of like what I was, was saying a minute ago was, was, I thought it was a cool thing to be doing kind of like you might think like I like skateboarding, you know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Like you're out with your friends and you're doing something that you you feel is like fun, but I I didn't see it as like a career path. Like I was going to college, you know, or like I I was going to college. Then I I quit to go on a tour, but the next semester I went, you know, my, my vibe was, especially as hardcore sort of, sort of, um, you know, uh, I guess depending on how, how much your listeners would know about, like, the bands that I'm in, but but Youth Today was, like, one of the main kind of driving things that I was doing, and uh, Ray, the, the singer, you know, didn't want to do it, wanted to do something else, so that kind of folded, and Gorilla Biscuits was kind of a little bit, I guess, you know, we're all heading into college, and things were just kind of flattening out in the scene, and I think, you know, scenes go in cycles anyway, Um, You know, kind of like starts up some people kind of like get something together. It kind of reaches a peak and then it starts to, you know, fall apart and, you know, and then when it falls apart, other people have to pick it up. So it was kind of all falling apart at that point. So my plan was like, I'm going to make weirder music and go to college and probably like get a degree in something and maybe I'll be a teacher or something like that. I didn't really have any strong ambition about that. Um, but I certainly wasn't expecting, even though you know there was a certain ambitious quality to quicksand, like we really wanted to do something great. I didn't see it as like, okay, well, now I'm gonna be a professional touring musician. So that really didn't come until I really had kind of kind of swam too far, you know, like where I was like, shit, I guess this is I'm in mean, my thirties, you know, maybe this is really what it is for me, and then right. <laughs> you know. So maybe I'm not going back to school, you know, uh, and that, and that was a, a cool feeling, you know, to, to kind of put that together for myself and to see what I was doing in a context of, of art, not necessarily just like, you know, uh, you know, there's a working man quality to it, but it wasn't just like feeding the scene. It was actually, you know, this is like a, an artistic path. And like what I was doing was expressing something and telling a story and uh, it made me see it as something more worthwhile. And, uh, and and I started to appreciate it more as something that I had kind of like had done and, and put together and less, less of a lark. Sure,
2: absolutely. Well, it, it definitely, a lot of people, you know, clearly have many different uh, paths when it comes to what they're planning on doing with their, uh, you know, careers and everything. And it's not until, like you said, you kind of wake up and realize like, Oh wow! I've been doing this for a while now, and like, I guess I don't need to think about pivoting at this exact juncture. <laughs> You're just like, I guess I'm just here and doing this.
3: Yeah, I mean that was it. And it's like, I think that that was. I guess there's. I guess people are are kind of built differently, but like, as soon as you say, okay, well, this is who I am, and this is what I'm doing, um, yeah, it changes the the weight of it. You know what I mean? If it's just sort of like a goof, then it doesn't have to, it doesn't matter in the same way. And maybe that's like a healthy functioning illusion that you want to preserve. Uh, but in my thirties, I guess I just saw it as more as like shit, you know, like it doesn't mean I can't do other things, but, you know, take ownership of the fact that, you know, uh, you know, this is me talking to myself, (laughs) like that you've done some stuff and, and it's, and it's meaningful and like, and, and, uh, give it, you know maybe maybe see it in, in that light and uh, and see how that suits you
2: yeah absolutely when the this is more something uh, about you as a person where I've heard the term and I'm sure you've heard the term as well where you know p- people have affectionately referred to you as like you know uncle Wally and maybe this is the first time you're hearing it, but <laughs> where it's just like,
3: I heard that. I, I wouldn't know that it, that that's what people say, but yeah, I've heard that
2: actually. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I may be using hyperbole and it's not like everybody calls you that, but yeah. I've heard that term before. And I, to me, it really describes, I mean, only tangentially knowing you through your music and existing in the same scene, you are, you know, clearly from the outsider's perspective, a very Zen and chill person about life in general. Um, and then I, I think that, you know uh, that terminology definitely applies to you. Do you, um, has that always been kind of like who you are or is that something that has kind of evolved over time uh, to where, you know, you can whatever, like water off a duck's back, that sort of thing.
3: Uh, I, I think that it's, there's, um, there's some elements. I think it's just, yeah, it's a journey. I mean, to, to be honest, like if, if like uh, when I think about, say for example, we're talking about quicksand era. Like I see myself as like, kind of like more angry young man, sort of like tense vibe. And I think maybe that's just that age. Um, And, uh, you know, I think I've over the years, like maybe, you know, we were talking about earlier, like where you come to some sort of more acceptance kind of level and then it's easier to to just see things in perspective or, you know, I don't know. Maybe it's just how I come off. You know, I I definitely have like sort of mechanisms to where, you know, things of course, like will stress me out or there's like different challenges. And I try, you know, I have my certain systems and ways of working. Um, and I try to improve on them. You know what I mean? So it's just really trying to like, Cope with, you know, you're kind of wired a certain way, and um, so yeah, maybe on the, maybe that 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 projects in a sort of like in a chill way, and I think in a lot of ways I I, I I am sort of like that. But I mean, if you listen to the music, there's a lot of like aggression and a lot of, uh, you know, although it's not really simply aggression now, but there's like you know heaviness and there's like feeling, you know what I mean? And, and like, um, I think that that comes from being sensitive to, to the world around me and, and also needing to process it. So, um, you know, and music is, is a way that I do it, you know? Uh, but yeah, my, you know, I'm pretty like, generally, like I appreciate like what I have and uh, I love my, my family. I love my friends and I love what I do. And, and when I'm in a, when I'm around people, um, I'm psyched. I'm interested in like, kind of the conversations I have. And, and I think that if it makes me feel like people's uncles, that that's, that's pretty cool. I love that. <laughs> totally. Yeah. It's definitely
2: a, not a threatening vibe where it's like, yeah. Cause I, I you, even though you project a, um, you know, that, that, calmness or what have you it it, it's not like anybody would look at you in the same way as you know they could look at other luminaries within the new york city hardcore scene and be like oh like you know they seem like easily approachable it's like you know you're not like you're you're not exactly tough walter and i don't mean that in a bad way
3: (laughs) yeah that's never been yeah i mean that's never been my thing i mean i uh, on, i think i was i think i lost i was into fighting when i was a little kid and I think it was in fourth grade, I was in a new school and uh, picked a fight with someone just to like, just kind of, that was a sort of a thing to do. And uh, it was my first fight that I lost. And I think after that, I was like, maybe not fighting is not my thing anymore. you know. And then I ended up becoming, becoming uh, best friends with the kid that I fought with. But um, that's just never been my vibe, even though I love aggressive music and especially with hardcore like really appealed to me I think in the same way that like my bloody valentine appeals to me or like it's this sort of like shittiness but with like a beauty underneath it you know and I think hardcore has that where there's this like this noise and the static and this sort of like uh you know surface aggression but it's really like underneath it there's like a lot of awesome lyrics that are really about coping with like struggles of life, you know, and, 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 you know, the kind of from the minds of, of teenagers, which is like teenagers are like, are smart, you know, a lot of them mostly like I was just hanging with my nephew and he's so fucking smart and so on point. And obviously he doesn't have the experiences of life, which like, you know, which you grow wise from. But at the same time, like when you're a teenager, you, um, have the benefit of never having your ass kicked by life. So you can be more idealistic and you can see things in a sort of clearer sense, uh, where later in life you might not be so idealistic and, you know, you, you might have to, uh, you know, lose touch with some of that vision. But I, I still think that, that that, vision is strong and important. You know what I mean? They're, they're ideals and I, I think that that exists in hardcore, and it kind of attracted me to it and more than the the violent like image. But you know, there's something about punk that's cool. You know, where you're just like, you know, fuck you, like you know, Johnny Rotten. I, I don't know that that has an appeal of just being like, you know, uh,
2: antagonistic, yeah, it's, I, you know,
3: just not giving a shit. You know, as yep. as as a, as a path to finding your identity to to being that self self-contained you know right and, uh, well
2: you're you're like i know what i am against so therefore that will define what i am technically for
3: <laughs> it yeah i mean that that's that's sometimes that's plenty to go on you know uh yeah you know, more, more than a lot of kids have to go on so i think that had an appeal but like um you know if you listen to the Grill biscuits lyrics it's all against this you know i don't if you want bullies, like there's all bullies at that, you know, in high school and just bully, you know, they're just around like, you, that's not what I want music for. So yeah, that, that was never my thing, but yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, but yeah, I'd rather be approachable and, and I'm just like trying to be me really. That's right. <laughs> yeah. The ever the ever evol- evolving, uh, you know,
2: <laughs> process of being a human. I totally get that.
3: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, 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 is, it is evolving and it is a process for sure.
2: Absolutely. Um it, it kind of part of that process, I know, like you mentioned before, you know, you being straight edge as you were growing up, but you know, I know at one point there, you know, you you grew away from that label like you know most people do at a certain juncture. Um was it was it one of those things where um because I know since you were definitely part of the, you know, whatever second wave of straight edge as it were, uh mm-hmm. and, and then as it evolved, was it one of those things that uh, at certain points it became, um, you know, unrecognizable for you, like as it went through these evolutions and therefore, you know, played less of a a part in your life because of that, or was it just kind of the evolution of, you know, wanting uh, different experiences overall?
3: I think straight edge kind of came with the whole package of youth of today and like what was happening at that time. Um, And I guess as, that kind of fell apart. You know, Ray wasn't doing was didn't want to do Youth Today anymore. And uh, you know, he he was veering into Hare Krishna, which I didn't really relate to. I wasn't like mad at it, but it didn't attract me in the same way. I, I you know, so I guess I was a little bit rudderless in some ways and Music became more interesting to me as just music and less as, you know, in, in the kind of hardcore straight edge world, you know, there was like, it was our, our clique of friends. Right. So, um, you know, we were all trying to outdo each other in some way and like to, and, and, and as a team to kind of like take our sort of philosophy and spread that message. And that message was about, I think all really awesome things that I still hundred percent back. Um, you know, which is, you know, loving your fellow man, like vegetarian animal rights is so important. Um, and, uh, taking care of your body, you know, uh, and, and the environment and, and, um, and I think straight edge w- was all a, a part of that. And, and I totally still relate to those. Th- those aspects of it. But I think as, as this sort of scene sort of like, uh, faded for me, and I was a little bit kind of on my own as a little bit older. Um, yeah, th- those other things sort of fell apart. So like the, the straight edge aspect of it, I guess it came the, the truth came out that like, it wasn't the abstinence from drinking and, you know, smoking weed or whatever it was that I was really there for, or not enough, you know what I mean? uh sure. that, that that it was really more about probably about the general messaging of the whole thing and that general vibe of it and um the the friendships that i had made and the opportunity to like play music and inspire people um w- was what it was about but um you know so i guess you know i thought like what's so bad about drinking a beer you know let's see what, yeah. <laughs> see what Totally like. I mean, I'm 21 years old, maybe like, uh, maybe that's okay. You know, and, uh, you know, so I, you know, I, I allowed myself to, to, to kind of get into that and, um, you know, nothing bad happened really. So it it kind of, um, and, and I think there's always like, even to this day, like there's still like a straight edge kid inside of me, you know what I mean? So it's like, I have, I learned like limits and, um, you know, that I had the ability at a time when people were doing their, their prime drinking and, you know, stupidity, like I was abstaining from that. And, uh, you know, it doesn't make me like a better guy, but it does kind of give me some sort of, uh, perspective on, on yes, substance abuse. And, and, um, you know, I just take care of my body and like not in some sort of like narcissistic way, but just like that. It's, you know, it's what you do to yourself is like what you're telling yourself. You know what I mean? So if you like treat yourself like shit, you know, then your, your, your brain's going to pick up on it. It's like, I don't like you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. If, if you treat your body well and you treat yourself with like that kind of respect, you're going to get good vibes back because it's kind of a partnership. You know, you you want to get through life in this vehicle you know, with everything working and intact, you know what I mean? And, um, you know, I've had a lot of friends that were straight edge that, uh, you know, really had probably came from backgrounds where abuse was a real, you know, substance abuse was a real thing in their, their childhood, you know, from their parents. And that's a really haunting specter, you know, to, to carry through life. And, um, so that really wasn't the case for me. So I, I I don't know. I I felt bad about it for a while. Uh, you know that I had sold out the straight edge scene. Uh, but you know I feel like I I did my part in a lot of ways, and uh, and I've got love for it and appreciation for it. And I, I think that that last part is exactly what is the most important
2: in my mind. I mean, what, I'm 40 years old and I still call myself straight edge, but I think everybody that has that notion that it's like this is still an important part of me and what i you know was like the la- the label does not apply to me anymore but i still feel like you said the the kinship the fact that you still feel like a straight edge kid even though you know you drink it's like yeah but you're doing it responsibly and like that's a hugely you know, the, the gulf between, you know, abuse and enjoying a beer at home or a glass of wine, like those are clearly two different things. And like, obviously, like you said, you've been able to navigate that. And I think that's what the most important thing is.
3: Yeah. And also, you know, it's, it's a, it's a pretty awesome thing to have been involved with in that, you know, okay. So E McKay made up straight edge and it was just kind of sitting there, you know, what, when I got into it anyway. And I was like, God damn it, why did Minor Threat break up? Like, I just want to be in a Minor Threat and, like, wear an X and, like, live in that world. And it was just kind of sitting there. Like, people weren't really doing that much with it. And then, you know, between Youth of Today and Uniform Choice out West, it's like it really just came alive so hard at a time when, um, you know, otherwise, like, I don't know shit, I was like smoking cigarettes. So stupid. You know what I mean? Like I'm not (laughs) saying it like saved me from a life of substance abuse and you know, whatever. I'm not saying that. Like, I I don't know that that really is me anyway, but, um, it really kind of scooped me up into something exciting and positive that I still, obviously it still resonates. So I'm super proud of that. And, um, And I I think it's awesome that it's like, it's just kind of in there. There's like people who who don't know anything about hardcore. I don't know who fucking Gorilla Biscuits are or youth today know what Straight Edge is. It's like, like people who don't know who Ian McKay is, like know what Straight Edge is. Like, that's kind of awesome.
1: at Oh
2: no it's totally it, the fact that you know you're going now into its like fourth or fifth decade of existence and the touch points for straight edge as a you know pop culture device now is like yeah people have no relation <laughs> to like the hardcore scene or just like oh yeah I found out about straight edge via wrestling and cm punk and it's like oh Okay, like, t- have you listened to any bands? Like, nah, I'm into like EDM. Like, oh, okay, well, that's cool. That's a touch point for you.
3: Yeah, it's still it's still working. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, totally. And it just so happens that sort of novel that it kind of, uh, you know, that y- you know, you and I experienced it through that, you know, through the prism or you know, the lens of like Minor Threat or Youth Today or these kind of things, but like. The fact that it's just like a, it's like a made thing, like is pretty cool, you know. I I love that, and you know, same same with like, okay, like, with emo, you know, like I would say it's pretty far from its origins, but like that's in there, you know what I mean? Yeah, coming from hardcore and punk too, or like even hardcore. Like when I got into hardcore, but you know, when more so when I was getting out of hardcore. Like I had no inkling that I, I thought I got into it when it was over. To be honest, I thought it was done. Like, you know, my threat had broken up negative approach had broken up. I'm, this is like, we're trying to like resuscitate a dead, a dead dog here. You know, like this is not going to happen. And yet it's all here. It's still, still happening and still meaningful to people that are like, there's people that don't know what hardcore is today. Like some young kid that's going to discover it, you know, this summer and like do something with it, pick it up and, and add to the story. I think that that's awesome.
2: No, oh, it's beautiful. Totally. Totally. Um, hitting on some of your, you know, your band experiences, uh, you know, I know that, uh, I mean, obviously there was, you know, Gorilla Biscuits and Youth of the Day and a lot of, uh, you know, proverbial quote unquote ink has been spilled about that. Um, I, I wanted to hit on, you know, quicksand in regards to, like you were mentioning up at the very top where you guys were writing this, you know, really interesting wave in independent music and, you know, participating in the major label system and all the, you know, I'm not going to rehash all of the selling out conversations because, you know, it's boring at this point (laughs) because clearly that was something that, you know, you guys went through. But um, I'm going to guess, like was that kind of the first time that you had felt like, not even made it from a monetary standpoint, but just the idea that like this guitar that I'm holding in my hand and these songs that we were writing are, are like, you know, resonating on a, a larger level. Is that like the first time that you felt like you kind of made it or was it earlier with, you know, when you were doing stuff with Youth today and Gorilla Biscuits and project
3: X, of course. <laughs> uh, um, <laughs> I guess they're just different kinds of making it, you know, like sure. Sure. Like selling out CBGBs with, Gorilla Biscuits and having, you know, a year or two before having gone in there and been like scared to walk in. And now we're like selling out. Everyone's going crazy. That to me was pretty awesome. I was pretty stoked on that. Um, You know, felt like the universe was, was, you know, kind of patting us on the back. Um, You know, going to Europe with you today, I was amazed that we had like, I'd always dreamed about traveling like that. Uh, I felt like we had really done something pretty miraculous to like hit the level, you know, the universe of hardcore at that time is just like that, you know, there were so many bands that were legendary to us and that we had like reached that level was really, I felt like, fuck dude, this is really cool. Uh, And quicksand. Yeah. When we were on a major label and like, making video, I guess going on a tour bus for the first time really blew my mind. It's like, okay, this is real. Like this, this is insane. Like, I don't know if this thing costs to rent in a day, but it's probably like more than we would make on our whole entire tour. You know what I mean? Like it was, it was something, um, you know, I don't know that I like felt the kind of feeling of like, uh, sated by that or like too uh, like um wrapped up in it but i did feel like okay well cool you've done good you know that's all right and and right like, there's still obviously like we're opening for the offspring we're not the offspring you know what i mean so, a- and it's not because we're not doing great shit but we just have to uh you know like there's work to be done there's there's higher mountains to climb Right.
2: Yeah. There's still, there's still more to go. And yeah. I mean, I guess on that, on that tip, um, it always seems, and you know, forgive me if I'm mischaracterizing you, uh, but just kind of like the idea of the collision of art and commerce. And, you know, once you started to, you know, even if it was as simple as, you know, like you said, going over to Europe for the first time and like getting, you know, your plane flights paid for like all these things yeah. that was like, wait, what the hell? Like, and then, you know, once you started to navigate, you know, all the major labels and advances and all that stuff. Does, um, do you, I guess, do you enjoy the business of music or is it something that's just kind of a a necessary evil that you have to participate in?
3: I mean, I don't, I have people in, in bands that I work with that are, do get into it and don't have this sort of, uh, apprehension of it? And it's not like I'm apprehensive because like, I think, you know, being in a band is like, really fucking amazing that you can make money doing this and uh think so it's so stacked against you and you know generally you're exploited and uh you know especially by record labels of that era you know and all that kind of stuff so like making money is important you know what i mean so i i think that the, the ethos of the of the that i came up in was either like hardcore a there's no money in it anyway the, the shows cost like fucking $3 to get in. Like if you're getting paid, like, you know, you'd sell out a club and get paid like, yeah, $300 or $400. You're like, fuck. Yeah, dude. we each get- <laughs> Totally. <laughs> $5 is going to be insane. And meanwhile, you know, the, you know, the amount of work and, and rehearsing and all the, you know, the expenses that come with that getting a van, you know, so you're basically not really making any money at all. Um, And also the ethos, especially from like the hardcore world is coming from, yeah, minor threat like Fugazi, like that it's not about money at all. Um, So I think that that kind of like that was my head versus like, you know, like metal kids that I went to school with that were just like they want I want to get laid and I want to get rich. Like that was not like, you know, that wasn't confusing for them at all. Whereas like, you know, we had all these like kind of ethical art commerce debates going on. Like, can we charge $10? Like if we charge $10, is that exploiting our fans? You know what I mean? Like (laughs) totally crazy. You know what I mean? Because like, if we charge $12, we would have been able to like make money, you know, and making money means that we can keep the band going. And um, so, but these questions were real to us. And I think when I look back in some ways, it's like sort of annoying, but in, in the big picture, I, I guess it kind of speaks to, to, to what I was saying about like teenagers or young people is like having those ideals are important and like valuing um, th- th- these ideas about, you know, what you charge money for, what you do, what, what's, you know, what is your level of, on that, you know what I mean? What's your take on each step, you know, because each thing you do, you know, you play this club or that club, you, you, you bring this band out, you tour with this band, the, you know what I mean? Your t-shirts cost this much, you know, all these, these are all decisions that reflect on like your ethos, you know, as a band, you know what I mean? And, you know, if you're lucky people give a shit, you know what I mean? Um, so you have to do things that make sense Uh, I kind of err on the side of like, let's be, let's not worry about like, uh, the money that's like right in front of us. Let's, let's worry about like a long career, you know, like that kind of thing. Like, and that's building relationship with the people that like your music. And so, you know, the decisions that we made, you know, sure. I think we could have, we could have charged $12 for a ticket and and it would have been all right. But the fact that we charged 10, you know. I'm still here doing what I love to do. And I'm, and, you know, I'm, I'm still, you know, with pe- the same people. And, and uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I can't complain about it too much, except in a kind of like funny way. But, uh, yeah. but all that, stuff right. was, you know, that was, that was all very much on the minds of people that came from our scene who were like being put into like a major label, which back then, like nowadays, like, I don't think bands have that same issue at all. Um, uh, you know, or, or not, not relative to what we did because like, okay, here's a record label is going to give you money to pay your rent and go on tour and work on your band. And the only downside of it is, is that like, you're a sellout now, you know, that sucks. Right. Right. Well, and, and I know I, I'm sure
2: when I mentioned this scenario, I'm sure you have at least one thing that comes to your mind where, you know, getting, uh, you know, a song in a commercial or having a song in a movie. Like I am sure there's been these weird licensing opportunities that have come to you and you've said no, because you didn't feel comfortable for it. But like now in 2021, no one would bat an eye at it, you know?
3: Oh yeah. You because there's, how do you make, how do you continue doing this? You know what I mean? It's like, you know, obviously fans are, are amazing in the way that they're, contributing to like patreons or stuff like that uh you know and and fans buy merch and all these kind of things because they support the the artists that they love and it's meaningful to them and i think that that's really in in many ways filled that void but if you get a a commercial you fucking say yes do it you know get as much money as you can because um that's that's the only way that you would be able to uh, get ahead although not always like for example like I mean I don't know if this is, is fucked up to talk about but um, I got offered like a fucking shitload of money for uh, can't wait one minute more to be used in a commercial and I was so fucking psyched until I found out who it was for is for Kentucky Fried Chicken right. <laughs> Of course. You're like, could it be anything else? Please. It was so, sh- it was one of the hardest emails I ever had to write is to say, no, we can't do it. It's just. Yeah. Right. And it's like. Back, they wrote back, is is it because of the money? Like they were like, we couldn't negotiate it. And it's like, Jesus Christ, no, it's not about the money.
2: Totally. They're
3: like, like Walter, please tell me the price for your soul. Like, I just, can you put a price on that? I it's, it was fucking hard to do, but not really. It was just, it was just more of like, of course, of course. Yeah. Um, it's like, ni- I would say yes
2: to 99.5% of the things. And true. then this is in the five percent, percent
3: <laughs> It could have been so many other things, but it's like, I can't, I can't rule that. But, um, uh, you know, yeah. it, no, I get,
2: I get what you're saying. That's stuff yeah. comes
3: along. And I think obviously, but yeah, it's, it's like, I think that standards now, I think people are more understanding like that, um, that that's what an artist needs to do to continue. And I think generally are, are pretty like uh, supportive or at least anyone, you know, uh, you know, from, from my vantage point, I mean, maybe from like a more younger up and coming band, people will get more shit. You know, I, I'm not checking the message boards.
2: No, right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's not, yeah. That, that would not be healthy at this point for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, Kind of a, a few last things before, uh, you know, I let you go was the uh, kind of fast forwarding a little bit to rival schools where that was such an interesting, you know, honestly, I think I probably saw you at least eight or nine times <laughs> when you came through yeah. Southern yeah. California. Um, and it was so interesting because I, I felt like it was such a flashpoint because you had brought you know, kind of everybody along that had already been a fan of all of your previous work, but then clearly you were capturing, you know, more people's attention that again, have no context for who you are, who Quicksand is just like, oh, this is a catchy tune. It kind of sounds like Foo Fighter adjacent or whatever. Uh But I know in the UK, it picked up for you guys and you got um, you know, a lot of these interesting opportunities to play again, you know, larger wider reaching shows as far as the audience was concerned. Um, but then you know the usual story of you know a major label wind down of being like ah oh, well we don't feel there's another single on this like sorry Walter like you know it just kind of you know it fizzled after time um, do you uh, and I know it's probably very, different than the quicksand experience, but like, would you kind of compare and contrast the two and saying like, Oh yeah, these were two like waves. I was able to, you know, ride, uh, in, in different time frames with different bands completely.
3: Yeah. I mean, Rival schools was awesome. I, it wasn't really like, um, that it fizzled in that way from the record label standpoint, it was more, um, well, yeah, the first thing, the, uh, the awesome thing was about it is that we, So we had an American record label. We had the the European record label uh, and especially the UK. The UK label pushed a single for us. So we had a single out there and it did really well. So especially in the UK, but also in Australia and and across Europe, um, we were exposed to all these people that wouldn't know anything about where we were coming from. So, uh, that was really awesome. You know, being on like MTV a lot, was was fun and playing all the festivals and just like, you know, I kind of have an idea of like, who would, I can recognize that, like someone come up to me and be like, Oh shit, I'm really into music. You know, like I might have an idea. It was interesting at that time to not know who the fuck would be into what I was doing and would come up to me and be like, Oh shit. So That was really, really fun. And I never even experienced that with quicksand, like where it was like a pop exposure, you know, quicksand was still like in this kind of guitar sort of metal-ish world, alt alt rock, like a little bit in a kind of contained genre sort of thing. Rabbit Schools was a lot broader at that time. So that was really fun to experience and, um, And it was really cool. I guess what happened was is uh, our guitar player quit and just it sort of just, I think, I don't know, just kind of wore out. It's fun. And then we started making record, we started um, making demos and the United States, the difference was the United States, they didn't do a single for us. So we did a lot of touring, but we didn't really have that. It was just like we were building, it was sort of like more of a, I wouldn't say it was a grind because it was having fun. But we didn't have that added component of, you know, radio play or, um, uh, you know, TV exposure. So it kind of ran an expected course in the United States. Um, so when we were making new demos for another record, uh, you know, some of the wind was taken out of it and ultimately, uh, just didn't really feel like doing another record because they were just putting us in this demo world and it kind of just sucked the life out of it for me. Um, but ultimately I was really happy when we kind of came back and did something, uh, we made a record God 10 years later yeah, uh, with, uh, Atlantic records for photo finish. And, um, and they were so fucking cool. We got to make this really awesome record pedals And, uh, yeah, did really well over in the UK again and and in Europe and we got to do a lot of fun stuff. Um, and so that was really fun to revisit. And, uh, and it's really cool that I think we were doing something really interesting, uh, and sort of touching on like, we were sort of in our own lane. Like I think quicksand fans were maybe wanted it to be something heavier or more aggressive, Uh, and we were like, not in the same generation of some of these other kind of like get up kids kind of bands that were like a bit younger than us. So Mm -hmm. we kind of held this sort of strange, interesting space. Um, but I think the record really holds up. I mean, people, you know, keep, keep coming back to it. And I think that's really what I think is the most kind of satisfying thing is like making something that's still doesn't just sound of the time, but just like is is meaningful to people, but also like holds up.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And that um you, you were referencing that kind of, you know, when you were in that that demo phase. I know it's it, it, I find it funny that you yourself have been involved in like two, you know, what I would call like, you know, legendary non-releases that are just like, you know, bootlegged to infinity, you know, between Moondog and obviously World's Fastest Car. Um are, are you just happy that those things like exist in that world of like, oh yeah, like if you know, if you're, you know, want to do a deep Walter dive, like you'll be able to find that stuff and listen to it. Uh, or is it one of those things you're like, it would be cool if at one point that, you know, we were able to uh, officially release this in some capacity.
3: I guess I, I've tried, I, I'm usually so kind of focused on what's coming next that I, I don't really take too much time to like, Party with those things, of course, yeah, yeah, for sure. So I, I, but I do appreciate it that you know that I understand as a fan of stuff. Like when you find something that's unreleased, that it, you gives you a certain level of intimacy with the artist because, like, you know it, and not everyone else does. So I think that that's awesome, and that some of this stuff falls into. And I think some of my actually, I wouldn't say it's like all consistently great, but there's moments that are some of my finest moments because. In those kind of demo periods, I was trying to, like, spark this fucking bureaucracy to, like, let me make a record. So, obviously, I'm trying to, like, throw some, like, great shit out there. Um, I think sometimes, you know, there were demos. So, there was also some things that it was just, like, dude, you guys are wearing me out. So, I don't think that they're, like, fully realized, all of them. Sure, sure. But uh, I think some of my my best material is in, in those. I think you know it sucked. I didn't realize that I was in that world until years later. Like you know, af- after Quicksand to like rival schools was almost like five years of like not doing and not releasing music. That's insane. And yeah, you know, it, it was like great years. So I mean, in that way, I'm pissed. But I guess at the time, I was like, you know, there. My rent was paid, which sounds cheesy, but like they were paying me to make demos. You know what I mean? And totally. I, and, and with the hanging the, the can't, the, the, the carrot out there that we're going to do something. I think that's just the, that's the downside of being in a major label. You know what I mean? Cause there was shit going on there. Like, you know, they're getting bought out by this other company. This person gets fired, you know? Um, and it might've been better for me to be, uh, dropped, but they didn't drop me. Uh, where a lot of other artists got dropped, so there was people that believed in me. So I was kind of fighting for that, but um, yeah, I guess over time, like it, I should probably set aside time to like really kind of document all that stuff because a lot of the time, you know, you can get those things back from the record labels and maybe release them in a way where, you know, they they have more uh, context, you know, uh, but right?
2: No, no, for sure. I just I find it because I mean, honestly there are so many things that exist like that in the hardcore scene, but I just find it funny with you that there are two specific projects where it's like, you know, the, the, the real heads know about it. And then it's like, you're, you're you're cool if you get one, but of course, Walter, you've got two, so you're even cooler.
3: (laughs) Yeah. Well, good. I mean, I think that that kind of stuff is, and also like B sides is cool too. Like yeah, having a band, having cool B sides is great. You know, oh, dude,
2: you're you're your, your Smith's cover. I'm sorry, but just like get out of yeah, here. It's yeah. great.
3: <laughs> Thank you. So that, yeah. that that kind of stuff is like, um, I think as a fan of music, like if you love a band and their their B sides are cool, you're stoked.
2: Yes, that was great, right, Walter? Just a gem of a human being. Not like I expected anything different from him, but uh, it was uh, his. My expectation met the reality. And my expectations were pretty high, so thank you very much, Walter. Thank you very much to Michelle over at Epitaph for hooking this up. And I know that seems like weird to like thank publicists, but they do the damn work. <laughs> They're making all this happen. They're responding emails and doing scheduling and all that stuff. So these are these are people that deserve a shout out, in my opinion. Whether you agree or not is a different story. But next week I have Kevin Kylie from an amazing punk band from Chicago called Lurk. And if you haven't heard Lurk, just go ahead and do your homework, check them out now, and uh, look forward to the conversation I have next week. Because Lurk is a really good band on pure noise, have been uh, doing the damn thing for a while, have some music out there. But uh, I I think they're poised to kind of, you know, capture a lot of people's ears in the next year, year and a half. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm just always ahead of the curve. I'm just joking, but I need you to check out Lurk. And that's who we have next week. So until then, please be safe, everybody.
4: The show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Trust me in saying that no matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you and how you manage them can make all of the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy.